Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group's market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning and welcome to Monday the 2nd of November. And can you believe it? The US election is just a day and a handful of hours away. Amongst all the rallies is a sharp increase in new COVID cases, sweeping much of the US, peaking over the weekend at 88,500 cases, almost double that of India, and significantly higher than the breakouts in European nations such as France and Italy. On Friday's Take 10 Economics podcast, we looked at five of the possible election scenario outcomes, ranging from the extreme, a demographic wish list, a blue wave, a switch, the status quo, or a Trump miracle. So on today's podcast, we're going to look at the financial market implications and risks involved, all the while that ever-present factor overshadows everything, COVID-19. So let's get into it with our Head of Currency Management, Stuart Simmons. Stuart, we're going to mix it up a little bit this morning and focus on the US election outcomes and risk to markets. But firstly, can you give us a quick update on the markets that occurred over the last week when global stocks took a dive? What triggered the fall? Sure, thanks, Craig. It was a difficult week for equities and the pandemic surge, as you mentioned, plus associated lockdowns are really the key determinant there. Although there may have also been some lightening of positions ahead of the US election. And recently, we've been admiring the resilience of risk assets in spite of the second and third waves that are primarily concentrated in Europe and the US. But those lockdowns in Europe, particularly announcements from France and Germany and later by the UK, have really represented tipping points for investor sentiment with parts of Europe heading towards another negative quarter for growth. And not even stellar earnings season can rescue sentiment with investors really focused in the past week on that deteriorating health crisis. And Shu, back to the election, what about if Biden pulls off a victory on Wednesday? What are you seeing as the impact on the currency markets? Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different scenarios, Craig, and, and I guess there's a lot of nuance to the results, particularly in terms of composition of the Senate as well. And I'd expect different reactions in exchange rates on different scenarios, um, possibly just the magnitude of the reactions, but also exchange rates don't operate in a vacuum. So it's important to consider reaction on asset markets as well. Uh, And we know that the worst case scenario at the moment is one which probably results in uh, something that's a bit more contentious uh, and something that may be fought through the courts. Um, We also can't underestimate how much investors prefer certainty over uncertainty. And even a result which isn't considered to be the best case scenario can still generate a lot of relief as investors can then look forward. And we've got a good example there from what took place in 2016 with Trump's surprise win, which really represented the risk scenario, uh, saw a brief sharp market reaction, but then there was a strong subsequent surge in risk assets and the US dollar. But coming back to your question there, um, given market expectations are Biden to take the White House, uh, I think with the removal of uncertainty, it really should see a boost in sentiment and some additional weakness in the dollar, but probably not very strong weakness. I'd say something of a more modest magnitude. 
You mentioned the Senate, Stu. The Senate is held currently 53 to 47 by the Republicans. So if the markets do like certainty, I'm assuming a blue wave would be a better outcome for a Biden victory. Is that your view? I'd say, yes, certainly that's probably going to represent a stronger market reaction in risk assets and also in exchange rates. Um, You would probably get more pronounced weakness in the dollar under that scenario as the market considers a stronger unified stimulus response, but also in the long run, that ballooning US government debt balances uh, out to the foreseeable future would continue to weigh on the US dollar. And Stu, you mentioned Trump's victory last time around. If he can pull off the miracle again, what's your view for currency markets? I'd probably have to look at the response or expect a response on risk assets there. And given that investors really want to see a stimulus response um, from the US government, I'd say Trump retaining the presidency would represent a setback to markets, uh, irrespective of the composition of the House and the Senate. And Stu, I've got to put you on the spot here. Do you have a view on what might happen? My prediction is a comfortable Biden Electoral College victory, um, but a lot of noise and false starts over the election counting. We've got to remember that there's going to be a, a lot of moving parts with this count, including results from states that allow early counting of postal votes. Those early votes are going to be favoring the Democrats. And then there's those states we don't allow early counting of postal votes where you'll get the turnout votes uh, counted first and they're going to favor the Republicans. And there's also going to be a keen interest in the composition of the Senate with a massive change in fiscal stimulus outcome at stake there. So my prediction would be a lot of noise, uh, a lot of false starts and reactions, but in the end, uh, I think Biden's going to take the White House. The Senate, for me, is too close to call. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela, and this is QIC's Market Moments podcast. We're unpacking the potential market impacts ahead of this week's US election. Beverly Morris, our Director for Fixed Income and Absolute Return, can I ask you, please, how rate markets have been trading in the lead up to this election? Yeah, hi, Craig. Um, look, it's been an interesting um, little lead up in rates markets. Um, Treasuries have really failed to show um, their normal safe haven qualities in the last week. So we've been talking about the fact that we've seen a lot of risk off price action, particularly a pullback in equities. Um, Yet US 10 year yields have been sort of grinding higher throughout that whole period. So they ended last week at 87 basis points and that's the highest yield Um, for about five months. And it's been quite an underperformance of US bonds relative to other markets as well. So very US specific. So US 10-year yields are actually up 19 basis points over the course of October. Um, Australian 10-year yields are up only four basis points. And and part of that um, is because of expectations of of RBA action, which we'll hopefully get to a little bit later on. Uh, German yields are actually down 11 basis points over the month October. So a really strong rise in US yields, um, which is, you know, quite extraordinary in the midst of what's been going on uh, um, elsewhere in markets. So, you know, the lead up is an interesting one, um, but obviously, you know, the action is all ahead of us. And, you know, for rates markets, it's really going to be all about the election this week. Uh, And there is two-way risk for rates markets, as as Stu's already uh, alluded to. Um, It's probably the case 
um, that markets, you know, despite what the polls are saying and, and clear, you know, outcome for Biden looks to be what, what is expected. Um, but given what happened in 2016, given what's happened in several other, you know, elections since even the Queensland election over the weekend, you could point to as not necessarily been one that the polls, you know, predicted well, um, that there's, there's going to be a relief I think, as Stu pointed to, across all asset markets, if we get a clear outcome, regardless of what that outcome is. So we'll probably see a sell-off um, on a clear outcome, um, but ultimately it's that blue wave outcome. That's the one that's really going to get rate markets fired up. Um, and we'd expect to see, you know, a decent rise in yields, you know, potentially US yields easily surpassing 1% on that outcome. So, Bev, in summary then, the two potential risk scenarios you're budgeting for in this election are that blue wave and the, I suppose the risk outcome that you mentioned earlier? So the downside risk is clearly that contested, really drawn out, unclear outcome. Um, that's the one where markets, you know, potentially have an environment ahead of no clear government, very little chance of any fiscal, fiscal stimulus getting passed in the next few months. So that's definitely the worst case outcome for markets. Any outcome other than that, I think markets are going to be happy with. It's all about then the extent and degree of, of, of sell-off and um, as I mentioned, the blue wave scenario being the most sort of risk positive or most positive for yields. And Bev, when you look out into the medium term and you consider things like rates and inflation, how are you looking at that from a portfolio positioning point of view? So our long-held view has been that the large and global coordinated fiscal response to COVID sitting alongside central banks assisting in the smooth deployment of that increased debt issuance was going to be a successful recipe for recovery. The passing of the US election was always going to be a speed bump on that road. So we need to get past this uncertainty to clear that way, clear the way for our positive reflation bias to kind of reassert itself. So we were always on watch for heightened volatility and unease in markets ahead of this election. That's you know very normal and to be expected. But ultimately, outside of that contested outcome, you know, we remain confident that fiscal support will continue to be delivered. So, Bev, we have the election starting US time tomorrow, but of course, we've seen those record postal votes that Stu alluded to earlier. Given the potential timing and difference here between um, turnout votes versus postal votes, how fast do you anticipate the market reaction to take? Look, that really depends on how definitive the results are. Um, you know, one of the benefits, I guess, of being in Australia is that we'll get a front row seat in our time zone on Wednesday. Um, but as 2016 showed, that doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth line as the hours tick by. You know, in the first few hours of the 16 election, the polls showed an early lead to Clinton. Seeing market, markets move, you know, definitively towards that outcome, only to see, you know, a very violent um, reversal uh, and moves in the opposite direction in the few hours later. Um, look, this time, you know, we might know the results of the presidential outcome by lunchtime Australia on Wednesday. Um, however, like you said, you know, it, it could take longer if the results are close and particularly because we've got these large amounts of postal votes, which are going to, you know, come through later. And as Stu alluded to, you know, the, the results of those are going to be biased in a certain direction early versus later. Um, but if the early states of Florida and North Carolina are clearly 
um, pointing to a Biden victory. I think the market's going to take that as a really good sign that a Biden victory is in hand. Um, but also, as Stu pointed out, the Senate and the congressional race is also a very important part of the puzzle for markets. And it could be several days or even weeks um, before they are clear, particularly as the polls there, um, you know, if they're correct, it looks like it might be quite a tight race. Thanks, Bev. Phil Mile, our Director for Global Credit Portfolio Management Research, we heard on Friday's podcast that Trump victory would support US corporations. So with your credit hat on, is Biden bad for credit markets? Hi, Craig. No, that's a good question. I don't think, and as Stu and Bev have alluded to, in, in the immediate aftermath of the election, um, it's more about the certainty that the markets will be able to take from that if there's a clear winner, whether it's Biden or Trump. Uh, and also the greater confidence that a fiscal stimulus deal will be reached um, unless there's a disputed outcome. So a clear winner should provide markets a, a positive sentiment. Uh, so Biden in the longer term, I think there there would be some question marks over, um, I guess, yields. Under He's obviously got a massive fiscal t- stimulus plan and funding of that, um, the pressure that creates on yields and also potentially it's probably a more inflationary policy than Trump's as well. So in the longer term, um, you've got offsets there. You've got a greater economic growth uh, outlook under Biden than Trump's policies just through that massive fiscal stimulus. But you do have the potential for a bit more inflation for maybe yields going higher over the longer term. So yes, there's risks, but I don't think it's right to say it's bad for credit if Biden wins. Short term, it should provide some relief uh, just on that greater certainty. And longer term, there's there's um, pluses and minuses for credit. But net-net, I think it, it's good if it helps um, the economy get back on track after COVID. Brilliant answer, Phil. Thank you for that. When you look at the alternative, what risks should credit investors be conscious of should there be a Trump victory? Yeah, so again, I think um, near term, it, it, the certainty that it provides if there's a clear Trump victory it's probably it won't be as positive as as Biden and the blue wave, um, and obviously the, the market's probably over Trump. And um, but in terms of a clear victory, it again in the short term is probably a positive, or at least a lab, and they, at least not a big negative for markets. Longer term, I mean, there's obviously some significant differences in their policies, um, and but I do think that the one thing that Trump is more, I guess, he's more corporate friendly. Um, he's going to have lower taxes versus Biden, but the the international um, trade tensions is something that would be ongoing with Trump, whereas Biden seemed to have a more conciliatory stance towards their three key trading partners. So I think that's the main risk um, that Trump presents that Biden, that you can probably move on from with Biden is that ongoing trade tension. Yeah, great point, that last one there, Phil. Thank you for that. And I'll put you on the spot as well, Phil. How are you positioning uh, your portfolios with the election result in mind just a couple of days out? Yeah, no, Craig, so we, as we've often talked about, we, we've been overweight credit since late March um, and that call's been good. So we're maintaining that into the election. Um, but also we are, I guess, prepared for that possibility of a no result or a a drawn out conclusion to the Senate, um, in which case uh, there may be some volatility that creeps back into markets. And I guess we want to make sure we're able to add if those opportunities do present. So we're overweight credit, but we do have some dry powder in case we get a bit of a backup in spreads. We we wouldn't expect a big sell off, um, but it could be an opportunity to get back in or to, to add at the good levels. 
You're listening to Craig Balanswale, and this is QIC's Market Moments podcast, where we're unpacking the potential market impacts ahead of this week's US election. Stu, if I could please bring you back into the conversation, the alarming backdrop to this US election is that COVID-19 spike that I mentioned earlier, and the third wave, which seems to have really timed itself to coincide with this US election process. Has it peaked in your view? Not yet, Craig. Um, you know, first, I'll just address locally because we saw some very welcome news with Australian health authorities reporting on Sunday there were no locally acquired cases for the first time since June. But as we've been discussing, the picture globally is far worse with um, new infections over 560,000 in a single day. Um, Europe remains the focal point with daily new infections approaching 300,000 across the continent. Uh, But we are, as you mentioned before, seeing a relentless third wave in the US with infections well above the 77,000 peak that, uh, that we saw in that second wave and still accelerating there. So healthcare systems will come under increasing stress with hospitalizations again rising and with a lag where we're seeing the rate of deaths moving higher as well. And of course, the uh, Albanese double donor, as you mentioned earlier, great news for Victoria and all our colleagues down there. But let's get into the silver bullets to the vaccine. Recently, we've had mixed reports. On the one hand, I think it was Johnson & Johnson who recently had that stumble uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, and there's also some uh, quarters that a vaccine is imminent from some of the investment banks. What's the latest in respect to the development of the vaccine? Yeah, November and December are shaping up as key months for vaccine development, approval and distribution. So emergency use authorization or other fast track measures to get vaccines into the distribution phase will be an unambiguously positive sign for investors. Uh, Moderna's earnings call last week suggested that they're on track to deliver 20 million doses to the US government by the end of the year. And earlier in the week, we had the Pfizer CEO suggesting they should be ready to provide an initial 40 million doses by the end of the year. We've also seen reports that the UK drug regulator are conducting accelerated reviews of Pfizer's and AstraZeneca's vaccines. And there's some interesting resources out there. I mean, the New York Times operates a vaccine tracker page looking at 49 vaccines in clinical trials on humans and 88 with preclinical trials under investigation on animals. So there's this enormous global response to get a safe vaccine distributed as soon as possible, albeit something that does temper our enthusiasm is the expectation that it's still going to take many months to distribute the vaccines widely across the community with frontline workers and those most vulnerable in line to receive the first doses. Thank you, Stuart Simmons, for the update today on the global pandemic and how it's impacting our global uh, geopolitical environment. Bev, if we come back to you, aside from the US election and that leap in global COVID-19 cases, it's also been a rather large week for central bank meetings. Um, Hot on the heels of that ECB meeting last week, the RBA meets tomorrow and is expected to deliver a Melbourne Cup easing. Uh, What are you expecting and how do you see markets reacting? 
Yes, Craig, you're right. It was a big week for the ECB uh, last week. Uh, they have all but paved the way for another kitchen sink moment at their December meetings. The market is, you know, going to be anticipating that um, in over the next few weeks. Um, but we've had a number of central banks come out and, and shift in a more dovish direction, the New Zealand Central Bank, Bank of England. And it's that global picture that's in part led to the RBA's more recent, um, you know, hints that it's going to also deliver further policy easing. So you're right, the market is expecting a lot from the RBA tomorrow. They're expecting a package of measures to be announced. So it's really up to the RBA now to deliver on that in order to not disappoint the market. Um, look, we think the market reaction to the RBA is probably largely priced at this point. Um, you know, the RBA's odds-on favourite uh, to lower the cash rate tomorrow from 25 basis points to 10. Um, it's also likely to reduce its yield curve target at the three-year point to 10 basis points also. Uh, and it's almost certainly going to lower that um, term funding facility rate to the 10 basis point um, point as well. The two open questions at this point for the market are, will they also introduce a target at the five-year point? And in what form will any additional bond buying come? Now, based on the latest Reuters polling, consensus expects that bond buying program um, to be around 100 bill in total. Um, Rumours came late last week in the press that they were thinking of a six to 12 billion per month program. So that would be pretty consistent with that 100 bill um, total number. Now, disappointment would obviously come though if the RBA was, was only going to announce an open-ended program and not actually give the market some numbers around it. And particularly if they weren't um, going to do that immediately, for example, if they were you know, going to delay that bond buying until the new year. It's also going to be interesting to see whether the RBA ties that path of bond buying to anything. Um, so there, again, there's some rumours late last week that they might tie it to the unemployment rate, um, which is also interesting given that the government has tied its fiscal stimulus to the unemployment rate also. Uh, so they now have a target of 6%. Um, unemployment rate's got to get down to 6% before they'll consider winding back fiscal stimulus. So it'll be interesting to see whether the RBA choose to deliver on a similar target for its QE program. And we're going to get some updated forecasts on Friday from the RBA. Uh, and so if that's the case, it could give the market a really good sense of how long that QE program is expected to remain in place. Yeah, really interesting, Bev, and almost another example of the central banks and governments working in a coordinated Together. way. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that update. Uh, Phil, I might bring you in for the last comment, please, that's okay. The ESG factors have been somewhat of a interesting part of this US election. We heard on Friday that a Biden victory would create a great tailwind for ESG investors. Uh, what specific outcomes do you envisage? Yeah, Craig, it's certainly, um, I guess, climate policy is certainly an area where there's a, a massive divergence um, in approaches from Biden versus Trump. And Biden, and Biden is clearly wanting to uh, differentiate and, and take the US on a vastly different path. So just to rehash, and, and as Matthew alluded to on Friday, uh, Biden wants to spend $1.7 trillion uh, over the next 10 years to make the US economy a clean energy economy with zero net emissions by two, and that's by 2050, their target there. So this is going to involve a massive amount of spending on renewable energy and also incentives to, I guess, make the, make the economy a zero carbon economy. So that's the likes of electric vehicles. It's also the infrastructure 
um, to support recharging of batteries. So there's a big spend here to come. So what that means for ESG is that there's going to be an on, ongoing supply of sustainable and green bonds coming out of the US. And, and the US is a country that's probably lagged in this regard versus other regions, particularly Europe. So there's going to be a, a big funding need to fund these initiatives. And that's also going to be an opportunity for private investors to, um, to come into the market and provide capital alongside the government. So we do think there's going to be yeah, just this will spur continued growth in the ESG market, and that's something that's already taken place globally. But this a Biden victory would certainly spur that along again. Thank you, Phil, Beverly, and Stuart for your updates this morning. Uh, in summary, there are real implications for the financial markets in the shorter term, uh, stemming from the U.S. election results. But as Bev alluded to in her update, the wall of fiscal stimulus being created by our central banks is most likely to be the central factor in the medium to long term. And of course, the world is waiting for this vaccine to be announced. But as Stuart pointed out, the distribution efforts to go behind that vaccine is the real factor here in terms of how quickly the vaccines can take effect and impact our markets accordingly. And finally, it's great to see the US powerhouse finally including ESG as an election factor as well. Thank you to Liquid Markets Group for the financial markets update this morning. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod Market Moments update and have a super week ahead.